Good morning. Welcome. Here we are again together in worship. Thank you for being a part of this time. And I tell you, I love and deeply value our online community. We're so grateful that God has given us this medium of connectedness and and being uh, together, uh, both through uh, worship and song, as well as in having the Word of God minister to our hearts. So again, thank you for being a part of this time together. Welcome to our teaching series, Conversations. In, in part five, we continue to consider some conversations Jesus had with his disciples. Now, of all the conversations, and I've shared with you that there are as many as 130 meaningful contacts Jesus had with individuals, but with all of these, some of the most meaningful and most insightful would be those conversations Jesus had with his most intimate followers, the, the original disciples. And today we are engaging with a conversation Jesus had with them that is not too dissimilar to the previous we looked at before because there's a bit of confrontation here. There there becomes uh, some misdirection that, that becomes evident in the life of the followers of Jesus. And then Jesus speaks into their lives confronting that error and correcting them. And the issue that that brings out this conversation uh, represents the idea of greatness. Who is greatest? And this becomes a, a common thought and conversation throughout history, throughout humanity. This conversation can also be Incredibly dangerous because the idea of greatness can can lead to to all sorts of of misunderstandings about who we are and about the truth of God made known in Jesus Christ. But we lean in to this conversation where the disciples are fathoming, uh, hey, who's the greatest? And then Jesus speaks truth in their lives. So before we move into this encounter, I'd love to pray with you. Father God, we ask your word to speak now. Thank you, God, for this time we've had together, for the music, for the, the ministry of your word as it was read. And Lord, now uh, may, may your truth really move deeply into our lives. Father, I pray you would move me out of the way and just allow your Holy Spirit to speak. Thank you for what you've taught me personally through your word. And thank you, God, that we can now engage this together as a, as a group of believers. Father, make us strong through your truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. And together we said, amen. Consider some testimonies from unlikely sources in the field of science. Uh, follow this beginning in the 16th century. Nicholas Copernicus, astronomer and a proponent, a proponent of heliocentrism. Your guess is as good as mine. He made this statement. Who could live in close contact with the most consummate order and divine wisdom and not feel drawn to the loftiest aspirations? Who could not adore the architect, meaning God, of all things? Listen to Johannes Kepler from the 17th century, one of history's greatest astronomers. My Lord and my creator, he writes, I would like to proclaim the magnificence of your works to men to the extent that my limited intelligence can understand. To the 18th century, 
Hear words from Isaac Newton, founder of classical theoretical physics. The admirable arrangement and harmony of the universe could only have come from the plan of an omniscient and omnipotent being. On and on. We could read comments from great thinkers, great minds, even like Thomas Edison from the 20th century, the prolific inventor who held over 1,200 patents. He writes, My utmost respect and admiration to all the engineers, especially the greatest of all, God himself. I share these with you because the significance of great minds becoming small in an acknowledgement of the greatness of God reminds us of the path which our own feet should walk concerning the perspective of our own lives in the face of one so great as Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, these great minds from history that I've quoted do not necessarily resonate a Christian faith. Many of them do, some may not, but they all resonate this clear perspective of the greatness of God, not just a an abstract being or a supernatural presence, but God himself as the, the greatest of all minds and thoughts that organize all things. And this is just a great reminder that if those great minds become small in the presence of God, how much more should our lives become small in the greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord? So I welcome you into a conversation between Jesus and his disciples that still speaks today. And this conversation about greatness comes from Luke chapter 22, verses 24 through 30. Reading from Luke chapter 22, Then a dispute arose among them, meaning the disciples, as to who would be the greatest. Verse 25 of Luke 22, Jesus said, The kings of the Gentiles dominate others and those who have authority over them are called benefactors but it must not be like that with you on the contrary jesus said whoever is greatest among you must become like the youngest and whoever leads like the one serving for who is greater the one at the table or the one serving is it not the one at the table but i am among you as the one who serves jesus said Verse 28, you are the ones who stood by me in my trials. I bestow on you a kingdom just as my father bestowed on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and you will sit on the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. This is an amazing conversation. Thankfully, one-sided because Jesus is doing most of the speaking, but the disciples initiate the conversation with their very limited perspective of self as reflected in verse 24. So as we engage with this conversation, notice first how there was a distorted perspective of self. In fact, there are three examples of this distortion that I'd like to share with you. 
beginning in verse 24, the disciples begin to consider who would be the greatest. The first distortion of, of a perspective of self, exemplified here in the false view of the disciples, uh, focuses upon precedence. Who will be first? And this becomes the meaning of the word precedence. Who will be considered chief among us? What drives such a conversation and what precipitated this com conversation here and this consideration? Who's the greatest? Looking contextually and with complete amazement, we recognize the disciples have just concluded that precious moment with Jesus when he raised the chalice and he broke the bread to commemorate this momentous occasion that has been observed in the church from this point forward. The occasion we know is communion, the last supper Jesus had with his disciples. And from this event, the disciples begin a conversation about who would be the greatest. But within this observance of the of the last meal Jesus had with his disciples, there is a note that, that draws our attention. Jesus recognized in verse 21 and 22 that the hand of the one who will betray him, in, in the words of Jesus, is with me at this moment at the table. So Jesus announced to the, to the 12 who were gathered with him that one among them would betray him and that one was sharing at the table with Jesus at that moment. So the disciples departed. Can you imagine that conversation as the benediction took place and they left that communion service? Can you imagine them looking at one another and assuming, could it be you? I know it's not me. Who would do this? Who would be the one that would deceive and betray our Lord? So I find it interesting that an event concluded where the question possibly lingered in their mind, who's the worst among us? And then immediately the question arose, well, then who would be the greatest? And this is not an uncommon consideration for many. Now, most of us would never admit that we're interested in our own greatness. But, but likely most of us have been tempted to consider that, that our lives hopefully are making an indelible impact on the lives of others. But here among the disciples, this consideration was actually disputed. A dispute arose among them. At times, if we'd be honest, we often think that the greater than sign points at us and the lesser than at others when we oftentimes compare and contrast ourselves to those around us. Well, this is what's happening among the disciples. That phrase, who should be considered the greatness, comes from a term that actually is very suitable for the attitude here because the term indicates that there was a a personal consideration. So this consideration birthed from, from an innate selfishness with the hopes that whoever is the worst among us that will betray Jesus or betray him, I'm hoping that maybe I'll be considered the opposite of that and one of the greatest. So all of this precipitated the conversation. Who would betray him? Well, he would be the worst. Well, then I hope I'm the opposite of that and perhaps will be considered the greatest. So to this conversation, Jesus begins uh, to complete the uh, 
the conversation with powerful truths we need to hear. But, but the first perspective of self that brought a distorted perspective to the disciples was this perspective of precedence. Who would be the greatest? Second example of this distortion of, of self-perspective would be position. Notice what we hear in verse 25. But Jesus said to them, and then Jesus began to build a contrast between who he desired his disciples to be and how greatness was defined among the Gentiles. The term Gentile here is not obviously used derogatorily, but actually used to designate those who do not know Jehovah. And so Jesus said in the Gentile world, they practice domination over others. They dominate others. And those who have authority are often called benefactors. The, the presentation of, of one's position comes to light here because in the Gentile world, there were those who, who controlled in order to gain a semblance of greatness in the eyes of others. There were those who desired to control what one thinks and how one lives and, and one's finances and in that way would be considered great even if out of oppression and fear. Jesus said, those who do not know Yahweh, they seek greatness in this way and then they themselves are called the benefactors. They're given the title benefactor because it seems that they're interested in the well-being of others even though they practice this uh, wrong and self-asserting leadership. The term benefactor there is, is uniquely used by our Lord to indicate that the Gentiles rely upon the title as benefactor, upon the position. And so Jesus gives to his own disciples this, this confrontation. Do not be concerned about what others will say of you or think about you. Don't focus on your precedence. Who will precede others? Who will be the greatest, the first? Incidentally, the term greatest indicates who is the one that will be looked at first, to be considered first or chief among others. Jesus said, if you're considering that as an issue in your life, you have a distorted perspective of your life. It's not about precedence. And it's not about position. Your life as a follower of Jesus is not about who will be first and not about who gains the right title. You should not strive to be called benefactor or one who blesses others. There were many in the Roman world who truly desired to, to be seen through the eyes of others as godlike, one who benefited the others, but the drive and the motivation certainly was to gain notoriety or entitlement in a position. Again, this reflects a distorted perspective of self. So the disciples unwittingly so, invited Jesus into a conversation about greatness as they overtly considered who would be great among them. And Jesus corrected them about position, even as he implied uh, that they needed to be corrected about the idea of precedence. It doesn't matter who's first. It doesn't matter your position or, in our language, your title. There's a third uh, example of, of how our perspective of self can be distorted with preference. Now here we, we move to verse 27 and 28 and Jesus unfolds, actually verse 26 and 27, excuse me, and Jesus unfolds two primary 
uh, references that would have been common to every one of the disciples. And this reference remains common for you and for me. In verse 26, Jesus continued this conversation about greatness. And he said, but it must not be like that among you. Your interest should not be precedence or position. Who's first or who's, uh, who has the best title? Who has the best entitlement? Jesus said, that's not for you to decide. And then Jesus references this, verse 26. On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you must become like the youngest. Whoever leads must become like the one who is serving. Jesus references by way of this, uh, this idea of generation that preference is not to be considered concerning greatness. It's as if Jesus is saying, although in our culture, preference is given to the older, you should consider yourself younger. Consider yourself less than. Don't let the preference of generation ignite within you a perspective of self that's distorted concerning how God desires that you lead your life. It's not about preference. It's not about generation. So Jesus used the reference to generation to indicate that you should not live your life as one with preference. And then Jesus also referenced the idea of one who leads compared to the one who is serving. So again, it's not about preference. If you are considered a leader, you should lay aside that preference and act like one who serves. And so Jesus points to this erroneous view of self concerning preference by using the, the reference to generation. If, if you are older and considered a leader, you should see yourself as younger and, and as a servant. You should not desire or expect a preference. This is a difficult distortion to overcome for many. When you arrive first in line and then someone steps in front of you, our flesh immediately reacts, hey, I, I, I'm here first. So there's an unwitting desire to have preference. So Jesus argued this with a, uh, a reference to generation. But secondly, Jesus argues preference with a reference to that which uh, can be seen domestically. So from an example of generation, Jesus now turns to an example of, of a domestic setting. And in verse 27, Jesus said this, For who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't it the one at the table? Now consider a domestic setting in the days of Jesus. There was the head of the household at the table while those in his life served him. Jesus said to the disciples, most would conclude the one that's sitting at the table being served should be considered greater than the one serving, at least in your view and your culture of a domestic setting. Or in our culture, consider that of a restaurant. Someone sitting at the table might think of themselves greater than the one serving them. And oftentimes, sadly, we see people at the table making strong demands of those serving them without any recognition of the value in the one serving. And this becomes a sad testimony when a follower of Jesus practices this. But Jesus led his disciples into this reference 
to one at a table and one serving the table to indicate first that the common view would be the one at the table is greater. That's why the one serving him is actually serving at the table. So the one at the table is greater, the one serving is less. But then Jesus said this, and can you imagine how the disciples' perspective was turned upside down? Jesus said, but I am among you as the one serving. Jesus said, I put myself in the place of the one who serves. I will not consider myself the one sitting at the table expecting to be served. I consider myself to be the one who serves. Again, Jesus said, lay down any thought that you have of preference. So today, dear follower of Jesus, let go of any thought you have of precedence. Am I the greatest? Am I considered better than the person beside me? Am I considered the greatest among my co-workers? Am I considered the greatest among my siblings? Am I considered the greatest in my, in my class or my study group? Jesus said, lay aside any thought of precedence. That is a sinful distortion of how you see yourself. Jesus said, lay aside any thought of position, being called a benefactor, being given a title. Hang, hang very little value on any title given to you that would bring a sense of importance to yourself. And Jesus said, let go of any preference that you think you deserve or to which you think you are entitled. These, straight from the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples, references a distorted view of self because they're all bred from a love of self, a selfishness that seeks self-interest and self-entitlement. So we should be careful of these distortions. Now, as we come to the close of this conversation, Jesus seemingly abruptly changes the topic, but the topic doesn't change. Jesus instead offers the correct perspectives. Uh, these I term as blessings. And we pick up in, in verse 28. And Jesus has corrected his disciples, but oh, how I'm amazed at the tenderness and the love so present in Jesus' words as he could have spent much more time correcting the fallacy in the minds of his disciples, but having given those, those observations of how distorted the disciples' views were of themselves as they had this conversation, who's the greatest? Jesus then corrected them quickly and moved in to the correct perspective that he desired his disciples have of themselves and that he desires we have of ourselves. Verse 28, Jesus said, you're the ones who stood with me in my trials. Oh, I love this. Jesus first emphasized the relationship. Jesus said, it does not concern you as to who would be the greatest because you've been with me. You've stayed with me. There have been some difficult moments through which we've journeyed. Jesus is coming to the close of his earthly ministry. And there were so many events that the disciples could have run. Eventually, most of them did run. But up to this point, the disciples stood there and Jesus said, you've, you've been with me. So Jesus emphasizes, do not be concerned with, with the, the, the greatness that, that many desire to have. You have a relationship with me. Seek that. Seek that peace of who you truly are as my follower. So I say to you today, 
If you're tempted to think about any greatness in your own life, lay it aside. Lay aside the the notion of competition. Lay aside the the tendency we have to create the greater than sign pointing to us and the lesser than to others. And see that you're blessed because you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So Jesus offered that as the first correction, the first correct perspective, which is which is the ultimate blessing that we can be brought into a relationship with Jesus. And then listen to, to verse 29. I, I bestow on you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one on me. Jesus then secondly emphasized covenant. You just do, do not have a relationship with me by human knowledge. Jesus said to his, to his disciples, you're in covenant with me. This becomes the meaning of the term kingdom. I bestow a kingdom upon you. And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, we hear these words from the Apostle Paul. He said to, to the church in Colossae, you've been transferred from a kingdom of darkness, a domain of darkness, a, a, a control of darkness into the kingdom of of the son that God loves. Well, this represents a, a kingdom that is built on the covenant. God has made with us through Jesus, our Lord. I, I love how Jesus said, I bestow a kingdom on you just, just as my father bestowed upon me. This references the covenant. This references the presence. This references the the uh, union of heart and mission. This is a phenomenal statement. And Jesus reminded his disciples, I've established a covenant and Jesus had just held up the chalice. This is a covenant, my blood. And Jesus said, I established this with you. I believe he truly used the word kingdom because earlier Jesus said, I'll not have this type of meal with you again until we eat it together in the kingdom of God. You see that in verse 16. Jesus references that beautiful picture in Revelation where all the nations are brought together to the throne and they cry out, worthy is the Lamb. On that day when we're all standing with Jesus, every tribe, kindred, nation, and tongue will sing together. We'll be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then Jesus said, I'll partake of this meal again then, but not until we all stand together in the fulfillment of the kingdom. And this is exactly what Jesus emphasized when he said, I bestow a kingdom on you that my father has on me. He references the covenant relationship, the gospel relationship. And so Jesus reminded his disciples, don't focus on the greatness. Focus on the fact that I know you and you know me, but more deeply focus on the covenant, the kingdom that we share. And then third, Jesus emphasizes the kingdom a bit deeper. Even in the relationship, Jesus now emphasizes the kingdom as, as an eternal kingdom. Hear this in verse 30, so that you may eat and drink at my table. This references the fulfillment of the kingdom and you'll sit on the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. This references that the disciples have been told what you and I have been told. We will reign with Christ forever. This sitting on the throne judging the 12 tribes of, of Israel represent that even among the tribes, there were those who could not see the Messiah. And now here are the disciples fully knowing the the Messiah, Jesus, and absent of Judah, Judas, uh, you, you, you see the disciples becoming this movement 
of a recognition of the gospel around the world. And Jesus said to his disciples, before they could even fathom their life as an apostle, Jesus said, you'll sit and you'll judge the 12 tribes. You will be those who will reign with me, testifying what the 12 tribes of Israel have known from the beginning that the Messiah has come. He is Jesus and he has brought about the kingdom of God. So do you hear the value? Do you see the immense power in the words of Jesus as he first showed them how they had a distorted view of self when they considered greatness in opposition of the one who would be the worst, the one who would betray our Lord. But then Jesus showed the right perspective. There's a relationship. There's a covenant. There's a kingdom. And you and I should not consider greatness of, of any value. We, can, we should consider our place of knowing Christ our Lord in covenant with Him and living in His kingdom, which is both here and yet to be, but will be fulfilled when Jesus returns. But His kingdom has been established in us through our salvation, and His kingdom will one day be fulfilled. And we, we are a part of this. This becomes the greatest blessing, and this becomes the cornerstone truth. Jesus spoke into the lives of His disciples in this conversation about greatness. So the, the next time that you feel a tendency to think about your own greatness, ask Jesus to correct your heart and think about your place with him. He's the only one that can be called great. He is our savior. He has established the covenant forever. He is over the kingdom. He is, he is over the kingdom. We've been, we've been placed in the kingdom of, of, of the son that God loves. And this becomes an amazing reality of how we should see ourselves. So I pray that these truths have truly challenged and have blessed your life. Mother Teresa once said this, by blood and origin, I am Albanian. In citizenship, I'm Indian. As a nun, I'm Catholic. As to my calling, I belong to the whole world. But as to my heart, I belong entirely to Jesus. There may be others who see you in certain perspectives. Some may think you're great. Some may not. But regardless of how others perceive your life, I pray that you see yourself in only one perspective. You belong to Jesus if your faith is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, may that be your identity. And may we lay aside any vain pursuits of greatness. May we lay aside any false notions of trying to um, to uh, receive praise from man or to be noted by man and may we simply see ourselves one dimensional we belong to Jesus for you see when I embrace that perspective I become I become a much better husband father and even pastor when I can see myself ultimately as a child of God as one who belongs to Jesus. I pray that is your perspective. That's the reason Jesus brought his disciples into this conversation. And he desires that you and I benefit from this conversation today. Now let me pray with you if I may. Father, thank you for these words from Jesus. Father, help us not to pursue greatness or to, to seek out self-importance. Uh, Father, help us not to be tempted uh, 
with a self-entitlement. Father, help us to see ourselves as, as belonging to you, as belonging to Jesus. And Father, I pray for that person listening today who has never placed their faith in, in what Jesus did on the cross, that they never trusted you to save them and to, uh, to, to forgive them of their sins and to bring them to you. Father, I pray that they'll trust in you now through Jesus. I pray that they'll place their faith in Christ. Father, there's no greater peace of our lives than Jesus. So may that be our one perspective of how we see our lives, how we see ourselves. Thank you for teaching us through your word. We offer this prayer in Jesus' name. And together we said, amen. There's a website location on the screen right now. Please go there if you need to speak to someone. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that he is Lord and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Right now at this moment, you can pray, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and I, I, I receive you by faith. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins and I, I give my life to you. You can pray that prayer. Jesus will hear you. He'll forgive you of your sins and he will bring you into a, a full relationship with God himself. What an amazing promise. What a, an amazing fact. So if you need to, to talk to someone about trusting Jesus, reach out to that website location now. If you're following Jesus and your journey right now is difficult, maybe you've been enticed by thoughts of greatness, maybe you've been totally distracted with, with your mind on things of the world and, and you just need some counsel uh, in, in finding your way back to walking in, in a full relationship with Jesus, oh, reach out again to that website location. We're here for you. We desire to encourage you. And I just want to say thank you for being a part of this worship service today. These are meaningful moments. I know that you're there and and we're here. But these moments are, are still, nonetheless, very meaningful. We're together under the name of Jesus, worshiping him, listening to his truth. And I'm grateful that a conversation spoken centuries ago speaks to our hearts today. Hey, join us again next week. Until then. Take care. Let's stay in touch with each other and let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Love you a lot. God bless.